So so today I think you have the grand total of around 55% of my attention because the other percentage is definitely going on the fact that we are launching a new product today, which we haven't done in quite some time. And I'm incredibly excited to see how it goes. We've done brand work towards this. There's like a whole bunch of new design. There's a whole bunch of like product design. And that's just looking at it from my kind of selfish angle. The development and the kind of business resource that's gone into this has been absolutely huge. So I am incredibly, you know, on edge of my seat, excited to see how this goes and how people interpret what we're doing and what people think of it. We're talking to Mark, who is a new member of the team, who we'll introduce a bit later, and and Carson about our new product. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Yeah, I'm not going to reveal too much until then, I don't think. But the, the weird thing is, we haven't been able to talk about this for quite some time. We've all been working on it for quite a long time, and I'm kind of, I'm really, I'm really <laughs> worried that I'm now going to mention it, but I'm allowed. So like, I'm a little bit confused. We're talking about secrets automation. Oh, oh, oh you said it out loud. Ooh. Oh, Oh. He blurted it out. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got you got to rip the bandaid off at some point. I mean, yes, but the bandaid hasn't officially been ripped off yet, and and this is like being recorded. By the so. by, the time anyone hears this, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You know how we are about this kind of stuff. Like we're really like the internal security around these things. We want to come out with a surprise like it's it's a nice thing to to come out with like a thing when no one knows the direction that we're going in and to have like a fully fledged product and the surprise of this is kind of the nicety and so we've all been really hot on keeping it locked down and now even saying it out loud i feel like i'm <laughs> i'm just breaking that but i'm allowed to it's okay it's okay matt it's well, okay. i'm allowed to say mm-hmm. Secrets automation. That's correct. Yes. Exciting times. Um, so I think we can jump into some Watchtower Weekly. Let's do it. Uh, so this first one is the is the big story recently, and it's this Facebook data breach. And you know the story that we're talking about is the Wired article that Facebook had years to fix the flaw that leaked 500 million users' data. So the profile names, email addresses, and phone numbers of over 5 million Facebook users have been circulated publicly online, and it took days for Facebook to finally acknowledge the root cause, an issue that the company says they fixed in 2019, but now researchers are saying that Facebook knew about similar vulnerabilities for years before that, and it could have made a greater effort to prevent the mass scraping in the first place. So essentially, this isn't really in the true sense of things, a data breach, but it is a data leak in terms of like they had routes for content scrapers to go in in all sorts of means. And, you know, it would hold information that they, you know, maybe shouldn't have had. So an issue is is Facebook's content importer, a feature that combs the user's address book and finds people who they know also use Facebook. And so many social networks and communication apps offer some version of this, but Facebook's contact import tool in particular has had a number of known problems and supposed fixes over the years. So the Belgian security researcher says, I'm sure other companies are sweating as well now. It's not just Facebook. So the researcher reported a vulnerability in Facebook's contact import feature to the company in 2017 and said it's a recurring theme for Facebook that whenever growth is at stake, they will think twice about fixing something to, to benefit the, the user's privacy. <laughs> I've never heard Facebook quite summed up in a, um, in a sentence before. 
but that's that's very damning. So they already alerted Facebook as well to similar issues. They said, uh, I discovered it is relatively simple to reveal private phone numbers on Facebook, uncovering some phone numbers of Belgian celebrities and, and politicians. He wrote that in, in 2017. And even though this trick seems to only work in small countries, such as Belgium, uh, so they have a population of 11.2 million, so small being a, a, an open word there, <laughs> uh, a significant number of people are affected by this simple yet effective privacy leak. So yeah, they essentially found a manual and somewhat limited but still effective way to enumerate phone numbers and extract their corresponding user information from Facebook through the contact import feature. He submitted the findings to Facebook's bug bounty program, but in communications uh, reviewed by Wired, the company said that the issue didn't actually qualify for a payout, which seems odd crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a pretty good bug to me so facebook has consistently emphasized this week that stopping scrapers is an endless cat and mouse game i mean you know not if you up privacy controls and, and facebook <laughs> has said that pilfering data through scraping does not mean attackers exfiltrated the data like aka they didn't break into anything they're just kind of scraping public pages the company also argues that the leaked data is not as sensitive as health or financial information that's an odd angle to take as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think what always gets me is not so much the leaks and the vulnerabilities themselves. It's always just Facebook's way of handling them. They rarely seem to respond in a positive or constructive way. And they just always seem to be pushing the blame onto someone or something and are generally just shady with the details. Yeah, this is, uh, this is terrible. I, I think the argument to this is that if you are on Facebook or even if you know someone on Facebook who is not that technologically literate, help that person to understand what information on Facebook is public and what is closed to friends. Because there's so many people who I don't think are aware of the ramifications of your contact details being available in a sense of like your name or your username or any of the, you know, other details that they have, kind of metadata, in conjunction with something like a phone number where they can contact you. It just makes phishing attacks and similar things so much more likely. Yeah. The other article we have here is, is from, from Troy Hunt, and uh, he's blogged about Facebook phone numbers are now searchable in, in Have I Been Pwned. So you can now kind of enter a couple of phone numbers in there and see if you've been included in this leak. That's pretty cool. I think so, yeah. Uh, you know, I put a couple of phone numbers in there of contacts that I know are on Facebook, my mother being one of them. <laughs> and I was just like checking. <laughs> and uh, no, thankfully, she's not on there. So the, the other article is Mark Zuckerberg's phone number actually appeared among the leaked data of, of Facebook users. <laughs> so there we go. Um, data including his name, cell phone number, location, marriage details, birth date, and Facebook user ID uh, were also exposed. There we go. I bet he's got a couple of friend requests. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be Watchtower Weekly without us discussing Facebook, would it? I mean, the the, the troublesome things that they find themselves in. <laughs> uh, so this this next article, uh, critical Zoom vulnerability triggers remote code execution without user input. So a zero day vulnerability in Zoom, uh, which can be used to launch remote code execution attacks, so RCE attacks, has been disclosed by researchers. 
Pwn to Own. I'm giving that one 15 points of of naming. <laughs> wow. Out of 10. Yeah. Nice. Uh, organized by the Zero, Zero Day Initiative. Oh, that's another good one. When it sounds like a cult, you know it's a good name. <laughs> but not like a weird cult. Like the, a... the Zero Day Initiative either sounds like something from a science fiction uh, game or, or something like that, where, you know, you start off in a bunker, or it sounds like, uh, in general, just a pretty bad cult <laughs> yeah so it's a contest for white hat cybersecurity professionals and teams to compete in the discovery of bugs in popular software and services these type of things are great and i now want a zero day initiative t-shirt because uh, mm. i think also it sounds like a prog rock band <laughs> so just in my head just all the zero day initiatives are just coming together so the latest competition included 23 entries competing in different categories for successful entrants the financial rewards can be high. And in this case, Dan Cooper and Thegis Alchemade. You're, you're testing me on names today, Anne. <laughs> you're doing well. You're doing well. Earn themselves 200 grand for their Zoom discovery. So the researchers from CompuTest demonstrated a three-bug attack chain that will cause a remote code execution on a target machine and all without any form of user interaction. So the worst kind. As Zoom has not yet had time to patch the critical security vulnerability, the specific details are not publicly released. They're, they're kept under wraps. However, an animation of the attack in action demonstrates how an attacker was able to open the calculator program of a machine running Zoom following its, its exploits, which is, you know, terrifying. As noted by Malwarebytes, the attack works on both Windows and Mac versions of Zoom, the browser version of the video conferencing software is of course not impacted yeah in a statement to tom's guide zoom thanked the computest researchers and said the company was working to mitigate this issue with respect to zoom chat in session zoom meetings and zoom video webinars are not affected and you know of course when they come out with an update for this make sure you update zoom mm -hmm. i think they're pretty good on the updates actually they're pretty regular and they they, they push them pretty hard and have a small window in which you you must update yeah so that's pretty good yeah I'll, i mean i i like this vulnerability obviously it's not a good vulnerability but i like it from the white hat hacker point of view it's kind of nice to shine a light on how important those kind of events are and just how valuable kind of responsible disclosure is really absolutely I'm just Googling Zero Day Initiative just to see if they have any merch or a cool logo. <laughs> you want that T-shirt. They're leaving money on the table if they don't. Unfortunately not. <laughs> so this next one, uh, DuckDuckGo promises to block Google's latest ad tracking tech if Google allows it. So that's an odd headline uh, because it sounds like if Google allow them to block it, it will. But I think what they actually mean is if Google allow this Google technology to go through, which, you know, Spoiler alert, they might. <laughs> DuckDuckGo are already announcing that they, they want to block it. So Google is starting to test its replacement for third-party cookies because, as we know, browsers are starting to block third-party cookies and kind of keep cookies in their own little separate cookie jar per site. So, you know, Google, who want information across sites, is already starting to test replacements for this. But DuckDuckGo, on the, on the kind of the other side of the fight, uh, is already announcing that it wants to block that tech with its Chrome extension. Google's FLOC, or Federated Learning of Cohorts technology, is designed to be a more privacy-centric way to track users and serve ads to them. But some privacy advocates, like the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, have claimed that it could be harmful 
to consumers. The tech works to sort users into groups based on their behaviours. Advertisers can then target those groups instead of individual people. The thing that I find like a sliding scale here is you could be a group of one and it could be pretty detailed, right? Mm. But, you know, groups. It's better than individuals. So privacy advocates argue that while it's better than third-party cookies, FLOC IDs could still be bad for consumers containing sensitive information as well as providing another data point that lets advertisers individually identify them. So, you know, being in a bucket that likes, I'm going to go with prog rock and baking, <laughs> that's quite an identifiable two buckets to be in, right? So that's how they could potentially work this against the route that they're talking about. So DuckDuckGo says it agrees with those concerns in its blog post where it announced the latest version of its Chrome extension would prevent websites from tracking users by their FLOC or Flock identification. Of course, the company notes that the extension will be, have to be approved by Google <laughs> before it then becomes available by users because you can't just make a Chrome extension and, and throw it up there. It has to be approved. This stance from DuckDuckGo isn't really surprising, but it does speak to the idea that Flock will not be universally accepted like the third-party cookies before it. And Flock may be destined to become part of an arms race between advertisers and users who don't want to be tracked. So the technology isn't even out of the testing phase yet, and other companies are already looking to block it, which is quite an interesting turn of events, I find. Uh, so this next one is from the BBC. And pets' names used as passwords by millions, recent study finds. <laughs> okay. I mean, we, this is non news. Was this study a waste of money? Because, <laughs> jeez. I mean, the National Cyber Security Center, paid for by British taxes, uh, said that 15% of the population used pets' names, 14% used a family member's names, and 13% pick a notable date. Why don't they use this money to better educate people about passwords rather than running a ruddy report <laughs> we knew this like years ago right we were we were talking about this years ago a lot of the stuff that the ncsc does is is really useful and i know there are some very smart people over there but did we need to know this did we need to go down this route are they just looking for bbc clicks so they can like you know ensure their next mandate of whatever people understand that what they're doing is wrong. What they need is a publicized solution. I'm not saying it has to be one password, but my goodness, just an answer to what to do. Even yeah. if you're 90 years old and you're using a book and on the front of that is written passwords and each one of them is different, you're at least doing something better than making it a pet and using the same one for everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just... I <laughs> mm. At the end of this article, the NCSC is instead asking people to choose three random unconnected words as a password. And an example they gave is red pants tree. So, My God. you know, that's our, our next three word password round. I'm just going to go ahead and look that up and have I been phoned for a minute. <laughs> oh, turns out, you know, now more people are using it than before. I, I just liked our response to this article on Twitter which was uh, using a dog to protect his secrets didn't work for Dumbledore and it won't work for you. And I just think any link that we can make between passwords and Harry Potter is uh, a win in my book. Really. We used to make that connection a lot stronger than we do these days. It's nice to see that there's still some, some vestiges of that kicking around. Yeah. 
the the NCSE recommends create strong passwords using three random words. They also recommend saving passwords in your browser and then turn on two of a. So I mean they're getting some things right, uh, but oh my goodness. I'm just looking through their webpage now and crying. <laughs> like, if I was not working for a password management company and I came away and I was like, what should I actually do? And I went to this webpage. Unfortunately, I wouldn't really know. Like, I'd create a good password using three random words and then I'd probably reuse that everywhere. <laughs> Thinking I was safe. That's the worst bit about this. You know, it, it says things like, you should also protect your other important accounts, such as banking and social media. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that advice. Okay, I'm going to get angry if I don't get off that website now. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, 1Password launched Secrets Automation, a new way to secure, orchestrate, and manage the secrets in your infrastructure, like API tokens and private certificates. It's an exciting launch for 1Password and for our customers who have been asking for a way to manage infrastructure secrets. So stopping by for this week at 1Password, our Secrets Automation Product Manager, Carson Brown, and Secret Hub founder, Mark Mockenbach, whose entire team recently came on board as 1Password's very first acquisition. So, Carson, Mark, welcome. How are you? Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Really excited to be finally be able to tell the world that I'm actually here because I've been here for a while. <laughs> but <laughs> now I can come out of hiding. So that's all good. So I've been nerding out about Secrets Automation basically since Rick told me the idea last year. And I have been waiting to be able to talk about this stuff publicly because I think it is so flipping cool and such a natural extension of what 1Password does today. So we should probably start with the basics, though. What is secrets automation and what are secrets for that matter? Yeah, so I'll start with what are secrets. So many of the things that customers already store in their password manager are the types of things that secrets automation is meant for. But specifically also, it's really all around infrastructure secrets. So that's things like your API keys, your OAuth tokens, your certificates, things like that. The services, machines, web apps, et cetera, in production or in testing or in you know all the other environments that your DevOps or SREs, et cetera, might use. It's those things. Those are what we mean by infrastructure secrets. And then what secrets automation is, basically a really well-built API that allows customers to access those items programmatically from 1Password. Yeah, it's super cool. I'm going to say that a lot. I'm so excited. From like The geek in me is like so on board with this. Mark, can you talk a little bit about Secrets Sprawl and why it's such a problem and, and how big the problem actually is? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this ties into like, why did I even start a company in the first place? And that's because we were deploying software quite often, like a couple of times a week. And we kept running into the same problem over and over again, which was how do I make sure that all my database passwords, API tokens, like Carson said, all end up at the right place at the app that needs to use it without putting all of those passwords and keys in my source code. Because that just leaves them out in the open for anyone to take. And that's kind of like what we've seen happen is like with the Uber hack and all of those types of hacks where engineers check secret keys into source code and then someone, a hacker comes along and says, hey, thank you for giving me the key to the door. So that's really why we started it. We started scratching our own itch. And what we see is that, so why is this a problem now? Is that we see that because we've all moved to SaaS using more and more third-party APIs than ever before, and we've all moved from building monolithic applications, like one app, big app that does everything, to microservices, 
which basically increases all the components that are in your infrastructure. So it increases the number of apps that you have, and hence it increases all of the components that need to talk to each other, which also need a secret, an API key or a password. And so then we're also doing all CICD, which means you're deploying every day or every week, and the days of driving over to the data center with the CD-ROM and then manually entering some stuff once or twice a year are really over. And so we're deploying more often than ever before, and we're deploying more apps than ever before that connect to more endpoints than ever before, which means there are more secrets being deployed, and we're actually doing it with more people than ever before, because we've all moved from separate dev and operations teams to doing DevOps, like developers owning the uptime of their own applications, which means that people involved with operations, it has exploded. Yeah, so that really makes it like a big growing problem that keeps growing as we hop onto these trends more and more. It's a bit like buzzword bingo, but you get what I mean. Yeah, so we've got more services out there. We've got more people with access to these services. Then you you factor in sort of, like you said, where we're storing these secrets. We haven't even touched on like who has access to these secrets. How do you control who has access? What happens when one of these people leaves the company? Like all of these problems keep compounding as the number of services grow. And then as the number of people at the companies grow that are deploying these services. Yeah, that's spot on. Exactly. So Carson, how is this different than storing infrastructure secrets alongside passwords in one password? Yeah, the story there around storing infrastructure secrets next to maybe your personal passwords. I imagine most of the time when when folks need to share those things with other teammates, they may put that in another one password vault and then make that available to hopefully only the folks that need access. That's basically been the story so far in terms of how far one password goes into that workflow. And with secrets automation, the story is now shifting to bringing them directly into infrastructure. So before that, the story would basically be you get maybe that third-party API token, you put it in a vault, it's shared with your other DevOps teammates. And then from there, in order to get it into your application, you got to copy it out of one password and then paste it into another system. Well, hopefully it's not directly in your source code, but it might be, or it's in a secret manager that's deliberately made for infrastructure. That process does work, but now you've got two separate systems or potentially multiple systems if it needs to go in a few places that need to be kept in sync. When it comes time to rotate that or the third-party vendor changes the application stack or changes the API key, then you need to go update it everywhere it's been placed. And if you don't have that recorded in a nice spot, you kind of have a management problem on top of your secret managers. And so that is where the difference with secrets automation happens is that you can now use one password as the single source of truth by having those different services, your different infrastructure stacks, now retrieving the secrets they're given access to directly from one password. And so when it comes time to make a rotation, you just change it in that one place and your teammates and your infrastructure get the new value. Yeah, that's the part of it that like kind of blows my mind. So first of all, these secrets, this isn't like it's some completely separate thing from one password. It integrates directly with the one password that you know and love. So if you have a vault set up that you've added an automation integration to, these secrets will appear there if you have the service set to create them, or you can put them in and have the services use it. And then, like you said, changing a secret, if you want to go and roll this thing, like let's say that somebody leaves, you can change it in a 1Password app, and it will redeploy those secrets out to those services, and it, it kind of all just works. That's kind of the little bit of existing magic, I guess, that, that 1Password already does, like the immediate sync across all of the clients. So if you and I had a vault and I rotated an item in there, you would see it right away. And the same is true for secrets automation. It's the same functionality. It's that same sync engine that works across all of our clients, this one being no different. 
And the other thing too is that this is actually something that our customers have led us to. It's something they've been coming to us and saying like, you know, we'd really appreciate if you could come and help us in this area because our teams already want to track these things in one password. That's where they keep other things. That's where they keep their personal secrets they use at work. And so I want to put these things under one roof. I want to have one vendor for this solution end to end. Yeah, 100%. So not to put too fine a point on it, but why is 1Password solving this problem? Like, why are we getting into this space? It really feels like this is a natural extension of our core premise. We really want to help customers gain security through highly usable solutions. And before now, we've been working on something in the enterprise password manager space. And before all of that, just the personal password space. And so this is the evolution of that problem. It's all those things and also all the infrastructure that teams just simply have to manage. I mean, we no longer have tech companies as its own vertical, like every company is now a tech company, which means every company now has infrastructure and the secrets that power that infrastructure to manage. I want to pivot a little bit and I want to talk about the Voltron that 1Password and Secret Hub form coming together. Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about what our combined forces are doing here? Oh yeah, for sure. So if you didn't know, let me start there. So we've been acquired. It's been in the news. Why did we decide to be acquired? Because we actually approached 1Password first. That's maybe something not many people know. It's because we were approached by numerous suitors for this type of investment. And then I said, okay, uh, who would I want to be acquired by? And there's basically two companies in the whole wide world, and it's GitHub or 1Password. And so a few meetings later, I'm in a meeting with Jeff, the CEO, and we actually did a really, really good hackathon together. So we pulled our teams together and said, what would happen if we combine this technology? And we did a week-long hackathon where we just made all kinds of cool features together. And turns out that not only do the products align really well, but our programmers, they speak the same language. We all code in Golang. We all build on AWS. So it's all very much the same stack. And that's kind of like a happy coincidence. But it's also like a really good philosophical match because I think Carson said it before is that one of the core reasons why I wanted to join 1Password is its core philosophy that security doesn't have to be scary or evil. Security can actually be friendly. It can actually empower you to do a lot more instead of restrict you. And so we really want to focus on building great security that enables you to do more through great usability. So by building elegant and simple solutions that anybody can just get and understand and use. And I think that's what 1Password has been known for in like the human space, let's say. And I think if you were to ask people that use Secret Hub, I think that's really what they would emphasize, that Secret Hub is really simple for the machine-to-machine credential use case. And that's really where the two come together. And also with the secrets automation, I think that we really create something where 1Password has graduated from managing human credentials to becoming a universal platform to help every kind of business manage both their human and machine credentials. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So at this point, I have to imagine that there's a lot of people that are like, that's great. Like, where do I go? And how do I use this thing? And I've got these services. Is this going to work for me out of the box? Carson, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of what our out of the box support looks like for for secrets automation? During the beta trial period with a number of customers, we continued to ask them, you know, what sorts of things do you use in your infrastructure? Where are you planning to evolve your tech stack going forward? How do your teammates collaborate? And that led us to a bunch of separate products. Uh, We also use a number of these internally. So there was a lot of alignment. And so our initial launch integrations are where we are now, but that's not where we're going to end. And so we have four platform integrations, so to speak. We have a backend for HashiCorp Vault. 
a Terraform provider, Ansible collection, and a Kubernetes operator. Each one of those integrates, let's say, natively with each one of those platforms in a way that makes sense. I'm especially proud of each and every one of them. They each have really great workflows at different layers of the tech stack. A lot of them as the infrastructure as a service and, and others on the end-to-end kind of like encryption and secrets management. And then in addition to those, we have three language SDKs. These SDKs were actually built first in order to then build those integrations I listed. And that's Golang, Node.js, and Python. We definitely have more to come. There's a lot of requests customers have been making and we've been listening. And that really represents, you know, where our roadmap is going to take us. In addition to those, we announced a partnership with GitHub. We will be building GitHub integration. Uh, we really want to make sure that customers can use one means of retrieving secrets, no matter which place or which environment their application is running on. And so a GitHub Actions integration is is on the roadmap too. Oh, that's wicked cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just a really nice natural extension. And, and I mean, you can take a look at the, the Secret Hub GitHub Action. In addition, we've published an open API spec for anybody who wants to hit the REST API directly or create any kind of custom clients. That's something that we'll continue to deliver as basically one of our official means of, of using secrets automation. Nice. Yeah. And to expand on what Carson's saying, I think that exactly what it says, like the whole standardization part, that's going to pay dividends for our customers. Once you have one single way to manage your secrets, and if you get dropped into some kind of application in the middle of the night because you're instant responding, but you know how secrets are delivered because you're using one universal platform and things are standardized, that just is going to save so much time, not only in instant responding, but also in training and implementation overhead. And then also... On top of, let's say, the standard way of doing things, we want to offer, and I think we are, offering a lot of powerful customization options. So obviously, you can just go get started with the default settings, and that's really good. But as Carson said, we have the open API. You can customize it as much as you want. And we have all of these beautiful SDKs. And I really can't wait to see what people are going to build on top of this. Yeah, that's really neat that we've opened it up, not just to the sort of out-of-the-box integrations, but giving people the ability to go and, and make their own is is a super cool idea. So were there any like cool use cases or interesting tricks or anything that you saw come up maybe during the private beta that some of our private beta folks were doing or anything that we've come up with ourselves while we've been building this? Yeah, so we touched upon it before a little bit already, but I think the instant syncing capability of 1Password, it's pretty unique. And the ability to then tie that into your infrastructure rollout. So if a secret changes, you change it in the graphical user interface and basically anybody with access to the vault can do that. So you don't really even have to be that technical. For instance, if you're changing a Stripe API token, like people without access to the production infrastructure can just add the new token and then that stuff just gets updated. And it all gets updated automatically on a rolling basis. So you can do automatic secret rotation without any downtime. And I've seen people, they saw this happen and they're like, wow, okay, I want this, but I don't only want it for Kubernetes. Give me that for AWS ECS, right? For Elastic Container Service. Give it basically to me for any platform that I'm using. And I think that's some of the cool promise that that we're going to deliver on in the months to come. And then another cool thing, and this is really what I said before, is we can't wait to see what people build on top of this, right? Because I think our more long-term mission is really to become a platform for developers to build on to rely on, but also to build on. And that's why we're focusing so much on open APIs and all that kind of stuff. And one of the cool use cases we've seen people do is to actually use 1Password as an encrypted data store. So it's maybe a little bit counterintuitive, but if you use one of the SDKs, you can actually, for instance, if your 
web app generates, uh, let's say, an invoice PDF, you can then, with the SDK, make sure it stores those PDF files in one password in a vault that, for instance, the accounting folks can access. And then all your accounting folks have to do is really like use one password like they already use, and they can just download the invoice that was generated by an automated workflow. And that's really where I think that the whole universe of possibilities really opens up. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that aspect. Like I was in the frame of mind of like, yep, secrets and passwords and stuff. Great. I didn't realize the level of sort of automation and scriptability that this opens up for one password and sort of with external services. That is super, super cool. It really is a, a general purpose API that has immediate applications to how you might power like the secrets that are needed at runtime for your applications. But being a general purpose API means you can also use it later on directly in applications as a storage medium or a destination source for, for sensitive information. From there, you then get the, the same access controls that you have come to know from the user use case, like the human use case. Uh, and so in those cases, like you can restrict machines to only have write access. So all they can do is deposit information into a vault, but otherwise can't access what's already there. We're really keen to learn where customers are going to take this next and also learn, you know, what roadblocks they might have along the way, because this is the first release and nowhere near the last. We'll continue to refine this over the years. Yeah, that's great. All right. Last and potentially most importantly, where do people go to find out more about secrets automation? You can learn more from our beautiful new page at onepassword.com slash secrets. And from there, you can jump right into the documentation and get started. Every OnePassword customer can get started right now. Whether you're on an individual family team or business, you can use secrets automation today. Very cool. Well, Carson, Mark, thank you both very much. This was great. I'm so excited and I can't wait to see where we take this. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks. This was fun. So next up, we have Ask One Password, our listener portion of the show. And Matt, who's talking to us on Twitter today? Um, so Brent on Twitter asks, is there a way to customize the symbols used in the password recipe for websites that don't allow certain symbols rather than just switching off all symbols? If actually setting the symbols in a password is important to you, you can do this when you create a, a memorable password or a, a word list password and you can define the separator. And so the separator can be hyphens or spaces or periods, commas, underscores, digits, or then random digits and symbols. So if you want it to be one of the predefined things, you can do it that way. But that's, and those are strong passwords, but they're not, they're not random passwords. Nice. And if you have any thoughts or questions that you'd also like to send into the show, you can use the Ask One Password hashtag on Twitter, or you can send us an email at media at onepassword.com. We would also really love it if you could review us, and you can do that on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, great. So I think now's a good time to jump into the new three-word password. Okay, so this is our brand new game. It's called Three-Word Password. It is the single worst way to share a password. We use cryptic clues to guess the three mystery words created by our memorable password generator. So Matt has gone and generated a password, and now he is going to give us clues to try and get us to guess each individual word in that password. Uh, and Anna and I will work together and try and sort this out. I have two this week oh. because I've made one, like, normal level difficult. And then the next one is like a level above that. Oh, expert. Uh, and it actually includes a suggestion from one of the listeners. Okay. Which is just brilliant. Their mind works like mine, which is, what's the cruelest thing that I can get away with here? 
What's the most difficult word that we could put in here, <laughs> but just get away with? So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for that suggestion. We need to get our dictionary out, Rue. Our theosaurus. I know. So the second one that I've got here is created by me smashing the, uh, the generate button a couple of times and picking out a few words. This particular one, the first one, I genuinely generated. It's the first one that came out and I was just like, <laughs> I'm going to try it. Oh, no. So here we go. Oh, Let's not shout out answers in between. Let's wait until the end, all right? <laughs> so, the 13 most abundant element in the Earth and widely dispersed in nature, naturally present at low concentration in fresh water, salt water, and rainwater. Applications include cavity prevention as a biochemical agent, and new research shows as a component for batteries. All right, so that's your first one. Mm. Okay, I think I got that one. A type of financial fraud where the actor is withholding assets for the purpose of conversion by the person they were entrusted to. So 70% of cases actually go undetected for over a year and over $400 billion a year is lost to this. All right. Third word, a small notch or cut. It can also mean a sharp click noise. It's also a cricketing term to hit the ball off the edge of the bat and lends its name to a two-hour block of Saturday night Nickelodeon television <laughs> running from 1992 to 2005. And uh, a little bit of, of extra information. My old man would call this a snotch, uh, which is a portmanteau of the word. Can I get the second one again, Matt? A type of financial fraud where the actor is withholding assets for the purpose of conversion by the person that they were entrusted to. 70% of cases go undetected for over a year, and over $400 billion a year are lost to this. Gosh. What is the three-word password? <laughs> this was the easy one, by the way. I just wrote fraud for that, that one. And fraud's in the clue. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fraud. All right. I, I think I have the first and the last. I don't have the middle one. No. I think the first is fluoride. The first is fluoride. Ah. Yep. Okay. So the second one, I was thinking laundering, but it can't be laundering. It's the only one I could come up with. It's the conversion. So laundering is when you hold mm. money and kind of, you know, put it from other sources. This is a true conversion, and that's the important bit. All right, let's 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 jump to the third word. Is the third word nick? Close. Really? It's snick. Snick. <laughs> this came out of the password generator, not my head. Snick. Yeah. And then the middle one is embezzle. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, I love the reaction for both of us. That's Fluoride embezzle right. snick. So when you said it lends its name to a Nickelodeon program, I was like, well, that's Nick at Night. So this must be a uh, Nick. Nick at Night started at 2005, I believe. From 1992 to 2005, it was called Snick, Saturday Night Nick. No way. Really? Yeah. And my old man calls it a snotch, which is a snick notch. Nice. I like it. I've never even heard of the word snick. All right. So here we go. Uh, three word password number two. So that was supposed to be the easy one, <laughs> That was That one was the easy one. Okay. Generally, it means to attack repeatedly. But in modern terms, it means to insist or explain excessively beyond what is necessary to make one's point. Historically, but now obsolete, it was used as a replacement for the term labor. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so next one. Strongly influenced by someone or feeling the effects of something. Y usually used to describe feelings of affection and infatuation. A past participle of the verb 
means to strike, damage, or attack, and is sometimes associated with the wrath of God. There we go. There's the second word. And the third one is a type of compact and composite lens developed by a French physicist, Augustin Jean, who gave his name to the invention that has been said to have saved a million ships. This is due to its use in lighthouses. Uh, other uses include handheld magnifiers in traffic lights, and interestingly, is the side mirror on larger vehicles that brings stuff closer. There we go. Have you got any of these? <laughs> uh, my head is scrambled. Oh, Rue is, Rue is on a roll. Oh, Rue's good at this. Okay, so you've got Smite for the second one there. And it's very close. It's it's a it's a oh a, hang on a longer word. Yeah, hold on a second. I got it. Smitten. Yes, there you go. Smitten. That's the that's the second word. Uh, but his name was not Augustin Jean Convex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. He took it took it from his name. I see. Oh, he gave his name to the invention. I okay, got it. A Frenchman. Yes. <laughs> you know that famous Frenchman, Augustin Jean Convex. <laughs> okay, so so I I made a. a you know, necessary to make one's point. I kind of, I, I wanted to emphasize that bit. When you labor the point, what's another word that comes from the term labor that you might use to labor the point? Like browbeat? No. no. Oh my God. It does start with a B though. Bash? No. It's, Bo- it's oh, wait. belabor. It, oh, it's belabor? Oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> yeah, you belabor the point. I've never heard of these words. Clearly, I need to go back to school. Uh, look. It's our password generator. Don't look at me. Uh, and this third one was actually written in from a <laughs> from a listener, and would have taken me perhaps a lifetime to actually remember this because I think I learned it in like high school physics. Hold on. Wait. 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 Is it prism? No. Although that would be a pretty badass Augustus Jean prism. It's a good name. Okay. I'm gonna tell you. Yeah. It's Fresnel. Oh, <laughs> of course. God damn. Really, Rue? Yep. Of course. <laughs> you learn about them in high school. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. You're just pretending to know that, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you learn them you, you learn that in high school, right? Like I, I think I've forgotten it since. Do you? But like yeah. High school physics I definitely learned about. Fresnel lenses and stuff. It's the lens that, sh- well, it's shaped, uh, it's got like the concentric rings. A mm, couple of ridges and then a dome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's what's on traffic lights. It's what's, it's what, uh, yeah. God, that's a good one. It is really good, isn't it? Yeah. Top points to the, uh, to, to the listener. There. Yeah. Listen, I love this game. <laughs> trivia, t- this is a trivia game at this point. It's so good. Are you like the competitive one on the board games evenings that's like screaming the answer? No, no. <laughs> but I do enjoy this quite a bit. Like this scratches a very particular itch of mine. <laughs> that's that's good. I'm glad. It, it really it really belabors the snick is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite smitten. I'm, re- I'm quite smitten with this. You are smitten with this game. I, I think go forth and, you know, listeners try and do this as well. See how many of these words that I think are not in general conversation anymore. See how many you can get in just general conversation, in meetings, the next Zoom call that you have. Just just try and get, you know, just try and belabor a point. <laughs> uh, why do you got to belabor the point? You know, oh, did you hear that snick? <laughs> you know, oh. I'm drinking some lovely fluoride right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably are. All right. Love you guys. Uh, love you yeah, both. Love you both. Bye-bye.